You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. If you weren't with us last week, that is okay. But last week we started a new series to begin this year of what it looks like to be formed by God together for the sake of others. To see your awareness of God be cultivated this year. To see your affections for God grown. To see your actions reflect the pattern of Jesus. And to see your attachments, your relationships have healthy models of what it looks like to follow Jesus in all of life. That's where we're going. So last week was formed by God. This week, we're going to talk about what it means to do it together. One of the things, though, that's really fascinating about Christianity, if you are following Jesus, is we believe in a great mystery, that God is three persons. Now, you can't use an egg to explain it. Anybody get that reference if, you're, if you've grown up in uh, poor visions of the Trinity? Uh, or water, like ice and liquid and gas. Thank you. There's nothing really, it's a mystery, guys. Stop trying to explain it. But we believe in God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a mystery. We, we really, the harder you try to make sense of it, you just won't. It's something we live into and try to embrace as we interact with God as Father, Son, and Spirit. But the reason I bring that up to start today is because it's really crucial to understand that as God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, it means that God is love. The reason is for that because you can't share love unless you have someone else to share it with. God and Father, Son, and Spirit share love with one another and highlight and, and give honor and gratitude for one another. And then they invite humans, you and I, into that same love that Jesus came so that we might be reconciled to God and brought into this dance, in a sense, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that you get to be part of this love that has existed forever. But not only that, then that love is then supposed to come through us to then others to experience that kind of love that we have with God, that we've been united with God, and now we get to share that love with others. We get to do it together. And so I want to look us, uh, take us to Romans 12. We've been in there the last, last week, and then we'll be in there again one more week after this. But we've been looking at the entire chapter of Romans 12, 12, 1 through 13. I'm going to read the whole chapter again to us, focusing this week on Romans 12, 3 through 13, of now that we have this life with God, what does it mean to share that life with one another together? Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then here, we're going to make a transition and focus here this week in verse 3. For by the grace given, given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member, this is a really key phrase, belongs to all the others. 
Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then our benediction for the next couple of weeks. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's pause there. I want to explore together what it might look like to see this passage, these words, come alive in our midst with one another, even to maybe acknowledge ways they already are present. One of the really interesting things about our moment in our Western cultural moment, to say, to use that word, is that we see ourselves as highly, highly individualistically, as individuals. And one of the phrases that you hear often is like, hey, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, like you do what you would like to do. Regardless of that phrase is good or not or what it means, like the, what it showcases is that we don't see ourselves connected to others. We see ourselves as individuals that maybe could join a community, maybe an affinity of some kind of thing that we enjoy, like Frisbee, but we're not really connected to one another. We are individuals that get to make our own choices. But interestingly, if you uh, look at even how, uh, how the brain uh, is molded and, and functions and even the idea of, of trauma, even trauma reveals to us that, uh, that uh, we are deeply connected to one another. We're connected to generations past. There's a lot of research now that even in your DNA, what happened to your grandparents and their parents before actually has implications on how you are shaped today and you had nothing to do with it. You are deeply connected to others. There's nothing, there's no way to get around that as a human being. One of the phrases I want to just point out, there's three phrases here for the sermon, and it will go in that order. But the first one is just to see in verse 5, it says, we belong to one another. We belong to one another. I want to give you, this is like a real practical sermon today. I want to give you three ways we belong to one another, three practices things that you already are maybe pressing into, but just to remind us of, of what does it look like to live out that we belong to one another? First one is this. It's how you make decisions. One of the ways we can belong to one another is processing our decisions in the context of community. It can be small ones, but also big ones, but how are we as a community inviting others into the decisions that we make? If we belong to one another, our decisions are not made in isolation or just for ourselves, but for the sake of others, for the people that we get to do life with. And just to give a disclaimer, that's not just your spouse or your closest friend. It's a community. Because in a community with different personalities and giftings and insights, you have so much perspective that's given. That doesn't mean you don't disagree, maybe, with the community and their discernment. It doesn't mean that you go against, you don't go against sometimes what people say. But there's something about if we belong to one another, if we see ourselves as a body, then how's, what does it look like to make the big decisions of life in the context of community? 
The beauty, is it, the beauty of it, too, is when you do that, when you do make decisions in the context of community, it's stronger. It's a stronger decision you get to make because you've had people walk with you through it. So here's the question that I have for you that you don't need to answer out loud because that might be, this isn't, you don't need to process as a whole community here. That's not what I'm talking about. You don't need to stand up and say, hey, could you guys help me with this? But here's the question. What are two or three big decisions that you are processing right now? And how might this community or your missional community be part of that discernment process with you? What are some big decisions you're trying to make? Uh, maybe it's where to live. Maybe it's who to marry or date. Maybe it's uh, what community to be a part of. Gasp. Maybe it's even like, hey, is this the community I should be a part of going forward? Like, hey, even in those kind of conversations, how do you invite community to discern together? That's the first thing. We belong to one another by the way we make decisions. The second thing is, we belong to one another by sharing our resources and our emotions. Uh, notice at the end of uh, verse, uh, it says here in verse, where is it at? Uh, oh, verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. So it's a sharing of resources with one another. But then if you, um, if you go down to the next verse, we didn't read it, but bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. The second way we belong to one another is by, we, by the sharing of our resources and our emotions. Our resources and our emotions. My hunch would be that you're good at one of those and not the other, probably. Maybe you're really good at sharing your resources. Or even with the emotions, you're really good at sharing somebody's joy, but you're not really good at sharing in their sorrow. Or maybe flip it. You're really good at sharing people's sorrow, but you're not really good at sharing in their joy. What would it look like as we belong to one another to actually enter into both joy and sorrow, but then also with our resources? That could mean your time. That could mean your money. That could mean the random things that you have in the place that you live. Like, how do we share our resources, and how do we share ourselves, both with people and their joy and in their sorrow? I don't know if you had this experience, but... Often when somebody shares either sorrow or joy, we want to balance it, right? If they're sorrowful, we want to say, oh, cheer up, like, things are going to be better. Or if they're really excited, like, well, you're not really thinking about this clearly. Like, you should actually be a little bit more upset and sorrowful. But what would it look like to do both, joy and sorrow? And whatever one you're really good at, maybe this is a season to invite you to step into the other one a little bit more. Right, third thing, how do we belong to one another? This maybe won't make sense at first. Confession and forgiveness. Confession and forgiveness. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his work Life Together, he talks a lot about confession and forgiveness. And one of the things he brings up over and over again is when we confess our sin to a brother or a sister, it's as if we are confessing our sin to God. Because God, in that moment, our brother or sister has a chance to then speak back to us the words of God to be God's presence. And so when I share my sin, hey, this is the way I've fallen short, and somebody speaks back words to me, you as a brother and sister, you are speaking on behalf of God. You have an ability in that moment, a tangible way for people to feel God's presence, to touch what God's goodness is like, to feel the weight of, oh, I've just confessed the sin, 
and now I've been forgiven, and I have a tangible person in front of me that, can, that I can see that is a tangible representation of God himself because we are God's body. We are Christ's body. When sin in our own hearts goes unnamed, it brings us into isolation and hiding. Notice how sin and isolation and hiding actually separates us from one another. We don't belong to one another. But we have this unbelievable community that God has set up, different from any community in the whole world, where you can actually bring your sin to light. And you can actually be met with love and embrace. Not that there won't be consequences or there might be change in relationship. That happens sometimes. But there's a beauty in being able to share what's actually going on and to receive back forgiveness, reconciliation, repair. And you might think, oh, I'm not really feeling that from God. I don't really experience that same level of forgiveness from God. Well, see it in your brother or sister when they respond to you. Now, of course, you can respond in a bad way and people cannot be the presence of God in that moment. Of course, that's there. But there is a real opportunity for you to actually experience God through confessing your sin to a brother or a sister. Confession is the birthplace for renewal and transformation in your life. This is why uh, AA has figured it out. They start their meetings with, hey, my name is Charlie, and I am an alcoholic. It starts with confession that is an invitation then into community. Actually, I can receive now forgiveness in people that will journey with me along the way. So those are three ways that you can step into belonging to one another more. Communal decision-making, sharing your resources and emotions, and third, confession and forgiveness. Uh, Sarah has done a really good job for me of reframing confession because I've always seen it as probably the most painful experience that you can possibly have as a human. Who likes to confess the ways they've been wrong? I don't know, maybe you are that way. But if you're actually really like, hey, I'm really going to share something that I know is ugly and gross or I'm not proud of, like that feels painful. But even as we confess each week, it's for help and for healing, help and healing that we get to experience. All right, second part. Uh, every part is needed in the body. Every part is needed. Notice in the passage in Romans 12 here, it says that we are each members of the body, we belong to one another, and then it starts giving the giftings, which are different parts of the body. And so I just want to explore that a little bit with us. For the past um, three, three months, I have been getting up at 4.30 in the morning on Monday, Wednesdays, or Fridays to play basketball with a bunch of 30-year-old dads who are way past their prime and get injured very easily. I, I hadn't played for like, uh, maybe six months to a year, and the first time I played, I felt really good. I was like, man, I'm hitting some shots. This is great. Chris Hamilton wasn't guarding me, so that was really good. And uh, afterwards, I was like, man, I feel great. This is awesome. Like, I just feel like I just, I, I uh, am just like I was years ago or whatever. The next morning, though, I woke up, and I was like, I am just not like I was <laughs> years ago. The weirdest thing that happened to me, my fingers were sore. Like, I didn't know that you could have a sore finger. How is that possible? Like parts of my body I didn't even know that I needed to play basketball with. I was like, why is that random part of my body sore? This is, this is weird. What it does, though, and what it did is it exposed that actually every part is needed, that your body is so intimately connected that you cannot do without one part. All the parts are needed. 
So whether it's an injury, like you'd recognize if you've injured a part of your body and something isn't right, and you recognize all of a sudden now you actually need one of your toes to actually function through life, or whether it's you haven't worked out for a long time and you're not in shape, and then you wake up the next morning and you realize, like me, my fingers are sore, all the parts are needed. And I think in a similar way, as we are Christ's body, every part is needed. This is why Paul here is giving all these different ways that the members belong to one another by using their gifts and abilities. Let me just read it again. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. Teaching, then teach. Encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So here's what we're going to do. This is going to take a little work from you. You're going to actually have to say something back. Okay, you ready for this? Not to me, though, to one another. You just saw that list. I would love for you right now, we'll just spend, um, it's okay if it's silent for like five minutes, maybe 10 minutes we might have to move on because that would be embarrassing, but five minutes is okay. I'd love for you to recognize somebody in this room that has one of these giftings. So all you have to do is say, hey, like let's say Ryan Klopak got up and said, you know what, um, as I have been part of this community, I have seen so-and-so and they have a really great gift of serving and I've been really thankful that they use their gift to equip and build up this body. You can go off this list too, but you can try to stick to it as best you can. So I'm just gonna give some space. Don't talk to me, talk to one another. But where have you seen these different giftings displayed in our body, as in this church? And if you're new or you're like, I haven't been around for very long, you can just sit and listen and observe. This is just a small sample size of the myriad of giftings and parts of the body that, as we belong to one another, are expressed to one another. I do want to give one disclaimer, though, here about this passage and about the gifts. I just wrote on here this week, spiritual gifts are less like an Amazon package coming to your door and more like a plant growing in your garden. They're meant to be developed, cultivated, to build up the body, they're, they're not passive. Uh, even as things were shared, yeah, there might be a natural leaning in that way or another, but to develop the gift of prophecy or service or knowledge and wisdom and insight, it actually takes cultivation and work. And to think of your heart as a soil and th different things growing, yes, in your own heart and your gifting, certain things will grow better in the soil of your heart. They just will. It's like uh, if you try to do a coffee, uh, plant a coffee plant here versus in the middle of Brazil, you might have very different results. You might still be able to plant a coffee plant here in the desert, but it have to be under a lot of different circumstances, and it might take a really long time to grow where it would just sprout up in some other place. But just because it might be harder work doesn't mean that you weren't made to develop and cultivate these different giftings. Just because your gift isn't service doesn't mean you shouldn't join in with God in the identity of a servant. Just because your gift might not be giving doesn't mean that you can't grow and cultivate generosity. The gifts are not an Amazon package coming to your door that you passively receive. It's like a plant growing in your garden. But another disclaimer the question is not what gift you have or if I'm needed in this body. That's the wrong question. 
but rather how am I being a good steward of the grace God has given to me to form us as a people together? If you have any sense of question or feeling in your heart of like, I don't really matter or my gifting isn't really needed, you're wrong. That's not the vision Paul has here for the body. Everybody has a role. Every member of the body has to work in unison together so that we might be built up. All right. One last part of the sermon this afternoon. The third thing is around your motivation. Look at verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. I think there's one, uh, there's many, but one consistent warning that we see here that Paul gives in a variety of his letters. And the warning is this. Strong gifting is never an excuse for lack of love. You could be the most gifted, have the most prophetic insights, but if you lack love, Paul would say it's, it's worthless. We read this passage at weddings all the time, uh, and it's a really good passage for weddings, but it's also good for the body of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Strong gifting is never an excuse for a lack of love. So whether your gift is teaching or service or encouragement or wisdom or insight or prophecy, whatever it is, if it's not motivated by love, if love is not sincere, something's not right. So here's my question maybe for you to answer in your own heart. What, what are your motivations for the things that you do, even the ways that you have to, to gift this body? Is it motivated by deep love? Or do you find yourself being motivated for some other reason? Uh, often when we aren't motivated by love, we fall either to control or to manipulate in some way. My service can be an act of trying to manipulate or control, to try to get the outcomes that I want, rather than freely giving of myself. My generosity can be an act of control or getting the outcomes that I want because then I hope that God will then be generous back to me. My encouragement could actually be not motivated by love, but actually if I can encourage somebody, maybe they'll actually get me the affirmation that I really want and need. What is your motivation? And motivations are really hard to unearth. There, there's many motivations in our own hearts, right? So as you seek to develop your gifting to serve this body, to serve one another, would it always be motivated by love for one another? Love not to control them, not to manipulate somebody to get the things that you want, not in some, some self-justifying, self-gaining end, but simply out of love as Christ has loved us. I'm gonna invite Adonijah to come up to the front 
I'm going to lead us to the communion table as we look at this passage. Matt and Hannah Google are going to be serving communion to you today. I want to end us uh, and, and land us here for the communion table with the story from the Gospel of Mark. There's a man in the Gospel of Mark who is known as the rich young ruler. And when he comes to Jesus, he comes not with sincere love, but to try to get something from him, from God, from Jesus. He comes uh, to manipulate Jesus in some way. He comes seeking to self-justify his actions and his decisions. When Jesus asks him, or he, he asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus lists off the greatest commandment. He responds with, I've kept all these since I was a youth. But even as he tries to manipulate Jesus, interestingly, it says in the Gospel of Mark, specifically, that Jesus looked on him with love. With love. Jesus had every right to look on him with disgust or disappointment, disillusionment, maybe. Here comes another person trying to self-justify themselves before me. And yet it says he looked on him with love. So look no further if you need help figuring out what motivation it looks like to step towards one another than Jesus himself, who did not look on his world with disgust and disillusionment, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus looks on you and on us and his world with love. He is motivated by love. The giftings he's poured out to you and the giftings he's given to then exercise towards one another, it's all because of love. Not to control, not to manipulate you in any way, but out of deep love. And so each week, to, in a sense, fuel, to nourish us in how we might live out these giftings, how we might belong to one another, we're reminded here at the table of Jesus' love for us. That instead of trying to control and manipulate the story, Jesus took the cross. And in his death and then his resurrection, he's given us the gifts and the grace that we need to display to one another what he's like. And so in a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and we're going to recite together the mystery of our faith. But let me read over you this passage we read each week that invites us to the communion table. It says this, On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Could I have you stand? We are united with one another because we've been united with Jesus himself. We've been united with his death and his resurrection. So each week when we say this, we also recognize that we have died, that Christ has given us new life, and that one day he will make the world right again. So let's say this together, and I'm going to invite you to come and receive from Jesus. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and eat.